Hey, hey, people of Earth, it's time to enter the Spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on Spoilerverse.com. But if you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcatcher, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at SpoilerCountry at gmail.com. Join the... Wait... Join the cult of the Spoilerverse, and welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Kenneth Regan. That, that right there is Mr. Horsley. And today on the show, well, it's Michael Sequela, isn't it? It is. And Melissa uh, got to sit down and chat with them, and and uh, they had a great, a great time. And it's, I, oh, I forgot what I was going to say. Fuck. <laughs> Well, they had a great time. They sat and talked about his his uh, well his acting career. Yeah, his acting, directing, all the stuff that he does. They had, they had a good time, and um, yeah, he was he was really cool. He said I edited this one down, and he was a lot of fun to listen to. Cool. Well, I don't know if people have noticed, but <laughs> it, this is like Melissa's like seventh or eighth interview since coming on board, and she's killing it. And I think um, you're going to have is. a lot of fun listening to her and Michael talk. And just have a really great conversation. All right, this is Spoiler Country Podcast, and I'm Melissa Sircha. Tonight, I'm excited to welcome actor, director, producer, and writer Michael Cipolla with us tonight. How are you doing today? Hey, hi. It's nice to meet everybody. Yay. We're happy you're here. Very excited. We're yeah, here to talk about a couple things that you're doing. You're you're pretty busy. You're doing a lot of stuff. Yes, I am, Melissa. Sure, right. I am. Awesome. Well, I really want to talk about Dream Round, which is coming out on November 10th. And I'd love to hear more about what inspired you um, to, to write this movie and to produce this movie. As I understand, is about a little bit about golf, a little bit about law. If you want to talk more about that and tell us, you know, what we have to look forward to with that. Dream Round is, yeah, I don't know if it's a romantic comedy, if it's a sports film. Maybe it's a yeah, sports picture with a little bit of romantic comedy with a, all ages, PG-13 type of project. What inspired me was back in the middle 2000s, 2005 and six. I was playing a lot of golf. And I thought in my head, you know, in your mind, you always think you can do something, but you really can't. But I thought I could be a pro golfer. <laughs> so I practiced a lot and I went out and I made movies, of course, acting, producing, directing, and doing a blue show all over the country. So I would play golf and I just one day had an idea, you know, what if I did a cool golf movie like Tim Cup, Tin Cup mm-hmm. with Kevin Costner? And I'm like, I got to do something. So I want to do something mm-hmm. fun. So I got a great swing, so I figured it. So that's how it started. Then we went after Morgan Freeman to play the ghost in the film. 
but we couldn't raise the money. We had we needed millions, so we gave up on it. Later on in 2018, 19, I, I did a rewrite with Lisa Houston, a writer in Arizona, a very talented young lady. And we came up with an incredible story from the original script. And it basically a gentleman that could have been a pro golfer gave up golf to raise a family to a daughter and a son and a beautiful wife and a great life. But he worked too much. He couldn't pay attention to anything but his job to pay the bills and to grow in life. Well, Christmas Eve, the wife gives him a kiss and says, hey, we're going out shopping. But do me, I got a big Christmas present for you. Take some time off. We saved up enough money. Take a year, take two years off. Write a book. You know what? You should go back and play golf. You could have been a pro. Go take up golf. And they leave. <laughs> They're killed in a car accident that night mm -hmm. on Christmas Eve. So the movie starts 15 years later. And he's in a trailer park, hasn't shaved in days. He smokes a cigar. He listens to golf. He doesn't do anything. He's a bum. And he blew up about 100 pounds. So he's sitting around. And this little 10-year-old girl played by Alexa Lohman, a uh, local Phoenix actress who's on her way up. She's very talented. She comes by and drives this guy, Joe Bona, nuts every day. Hi, Joe. Hi, Mr. Bona. And he's like, now what do you want? Every day she comes up in her scooter and drives this guy nuts. Well, one morning he wakes up and there's a ghost sitting by his bed, but he doesn't realize he's a ghost. It's like his wife channeling through an ex-pro golfer who passed away many years ago. So this guy's going to rust him out of bed, get him up, get him cleaned up, have him shave and go out to the golf course. going to get him playing golf again. So as they go through and he starts practicing, the little girl gets invited to play with him. They go have a little lunch. They have some apple pie. He meets the waitress. The waitress knows him from when the wife first passed away, and she kind of has the hots for him. The little girl hooks him up, plays the matchmaker. And, no, that's where the love story starts, and he starts playing, but he cannot beat his nemesis. The pro, mm -hmm. the guy on the course, the pro he has to beat to make the pre-qualifier, played by Richard Grieco. From 21 mm -hmm. Jump Street, if looks could kill, you know, mobsters. Yeah, good looking guy. I wish I had. If I had his airline, I'd make a million dollars. You know what I mean? <laughs> so Richard's one of those cute guys, you know, and he, you know, he's a real golfer and good in life. He gets thin body slant, really ripped still at his age, 39, whatever. And so we, I have to beat him, and I can't beat him. There's nothing I can do. My character just can't take him until he relaxes. So. As he builds a relationship up, it gets stronger. And one night, it happens. He makes love for the first time in over 15 years to the waitress. Mm -hmm. And the next morning, he's up flipping pancakes. He's cooking. He's dancing. He's singing in the kitchen. Oh, my, he's a new man. So he goes back out to the course, and he beats Richard. He beats the character, the pro golfer. Not only beats him, he smashes him. Beats, he out-drives him. He out-puts him. He out-chip-shots him. Everything is better than him. Now we know who Joe Bono was 15, 20, 30, 40 years ago. So Joe has to go to the pre-qualifier. He wins the pre-qualifier. He makes the big Arizona Open. That's all I'm going to tell you. But it's a great love story. The, the little 10-year-old becomes his daughter, kind of like adopted daughter. And it's just a real fun. And actually, my mother and some other women went to the screening before it opened in theaters. And I mm -hmm. saw all these women crying. And they had tissue. I go, what? Because, you know, you don't, I'm looking at myself and I'm like, eh, you know, I'm overweight, whatever. But the women were crying. In this movie, so I guess there's a little bit of a tearjerker to it too. You're you're touching people as well, like touching their hearts, like getting them involved emotionally. I think that's that's great. Is there a, a little bit of comedy in it as well, like a little dry humor? Oh yeah, you talk about comedy. Oh my god, when I first start playing golf, you know, can't bend over, can't hit the ball, the club goes flying. Are you? Oh my gosh, yeah. And the little girl is so cute. 
He's trying to relearn how to putt, and she's eating potato chips. He says, come on, do you mind? And he can't putt because every time he goes to putt, she's crunching the chips. And then, and then she stops and puts it away, and she pulls out bubble gum. So he starts to putt again. Now she's blowing bubbles. It's like, it's so cute. And it's not only there. It's fun with the relationship. You know, like some people sleep with teddy bears, and some people sleep with two, three, four pillows. Well, my character sleeps with golf clubs. So, and there's a real funny, there's a real funny love scene, you know, with clothes on that happens with the golf club that you're going to die laughing at when you see it. It's really funny. So yeah, it is a comedy. It's a sports comedy with a, you know, with a cool twist to it. Cause you don't get to see middle-aged, a little overweight men with no, you know, balding going out and winning the open or, you know, a Rocky story with golf, you know, you know, I'm not built like Rocky or, you know, Stallone or Schwarzenegger I definitely don't look like Jason Statham. My hair does, but not my body. So, you know, and you read the reviews on that film and my last one before that, and you hear the critics saying, hey, you know what? Movie wasn't bad, you know, for a low budget. It was, you know, cute, whatever. But you know what? We really liked Michael Sequel's performance because he was the average Joe. He was the kind of guy that never gets to play the hero. We always see these good-looking rip guys. And it was refreshing to see a guy like that, built like that, like us out there doing it and playing a lead role in a movie and we could laugh at and enjoy mm-hmm. because we don't have to worry about our girlfriend staring at our stomachs that's hanging over our belt line while that guy's ripped on the screen. And I had a couple of reviews like that and it really made me smile. And I'm not saying it because I'm trying to get my ego or, or blow up my head. It really happened. And it's kind of nice mm-hmm. that you go out and you do that and people respect it. Yeah, that's relatable. It makes it very relatable. And I mean, you just described you know, half of the, you know, people out there that are trying to play golf that, you know, everyone wants to be pro, of course, there's always that fantasy, you know, did you, you said you did play a lot of golf beforehand. Did you have a trainer at all that helped you with your swing for the movie at all? No, but I didn't start playing golf till later in life. And I was playing golf on a golf course. I have a friend of mine on a movie got me into it for a minute. I went to a golf course in Arizona and I saw this guy with one of these huge putters really mm-hmm. big putters and, and, you know, double handled. And it was like putting from his face and he was watching me and he goes, I can help you kid. And I was a kid back then. I can help you straighten your game out. I go, oh, game. I don't even care. I'm just out here having fun. It was Orville Moody. who was a great golfer, pro golfer. And he taught me, we played around a little bit and I got better, not great. And then Richard Greco and I are real friends in real life. And we did a movie called forget about it together with Burt Reynolds and Raquel Welch. And Richard and I would sneak off set to go play golf. We played every day. You know, we played before or after we were shooting. We played on the weekend. And it was always a competition. I could not beat Rico. So he was kind of like my trainer. And we worked really hard every day. And he would help me. You know, he's not what people think. Some of the actors are really nice. Some out there that are not. But Richard was really nice. Took a liking to me. We became like brothers. His father had a crush on my mother. My mother had a crush on his father. Both single parents at the time. And so we would go out and Richard would really help me. And, you know, then I got, I met some pros at a golf course in Arizona that took me out and said, no, you're doing it all wrong. They changed my stance, changed my swing. And after, you know, just a few rounds, they had me go out and do two a days like they do in football, like the NFL training for football. Mm -hmm. That's what we did with the golf. We went out and we did all these, oh my God, I hit so many balls. My hands were blistered. But then I went, Richard's dad flew in from New York. We all went to play at the Phoenician in Arizona, a really great golf course. And I beat his father and him, and I finally broke par. Then I knew I had something. Yeah. So he was my trainer. (laughs) 
yeah. So he was kind of like your inspiration, not inspiration, but he was your nemesis competitor in real life. And then he became that in the movie for you as well, essentially. Yeah, exactly. In real life, because I tried to beat him so bad, I could never beat him <laughs> in real life. Finally, I did. And then the same thing in the movie. Same thing happened. And now we're too old to play. Can barely get the ball out of the freaking green. That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I look good for 96. You know what I mean? I look really good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 96. Huh? <laughs> yeah. I feel 102. Good. I think we all do at this point. <laughs> this mm. pandemic, everything, everyone's feeling, feeling it, <laughs> feeling old. No, we were talking about you're Italian. You're from the East Coast, right? right. Absolutely, New York, born in upstate New York. First generation, mom and dad were born in Italy. Perfect, yep, same, first generation. My dad was born in Sicily. Where, where are your parents from in Italy? Outside of Naples, called Avellino, the little providence of Avellino was called Calitri. They lived on the side of a mountain. Awesome, and were you, growing up in New York, you know, I'm sure it had some interesting experiences. There is like a whole community in New York of Italians, Sicilians, you know, what was that like when you were like, I want to be an actor? Did you got a, a good, you know, support from your family and friends? Well, we did grow up in a big, heavy, heavily populated Italian neighborhoods. And back then, I really didn't want to be an actor. I was, I had a gift to be a baseball player. I went to Arizona State to play ball and I played great ball up there and you know, I could smack home runs. And I mean, I, I was really into baseball. The acting didn't hit me until my middle teens. Mm -hmm. So I was already pretty much grown up. And then when you leave, I left for Arizona at 18 and I never went back. So, you know, we were eating spaghetti and pizza. Or they were, and I was playing ball. <laughs> and how long did <sighs> you play ball for, for a long time or just through college? Or what, what made you stop playing ball? So I came out and played ball, I hurt my finger at my mother's work, went to see my mom one day at a factory where she was a plant manager, I think. Anyways, the machine was broken and I was a smart ass and I thought I could fix it. So I stuck my finger in it to fix it. And it was a laminator, it laminated copper to vinyl or whatever. And it closed and it was 300 pounds, 70 degrees. And I wrecked my index finger. I couldn't throw the ball anymore. So I kind of quit. But what really made me quit is I did a, a Western called Frank Coles in town. I met a lady and she was a wardrobe lady in school when I, we were doing theater and she was working at a wild West town way out East where Elvis did the movie Charo and everybody worked mm -hmm. there from Kirk Douglas to John Wayne. So I went out, it was called the Patchyland Movie Ranch. I got a job as a stuntman. I never did that before. I would do shootouts. I got killed seven times a day on the weekends, you know? So they came through a Vern Peel or some big, Western director comes through and they're doing a movie and I really wanted to be in the movies and they couldn't find a kid. They needed an 18 year old kid to play it. The young brother that was called Frank Coles in town. They robbed a bank in mm -hmm. Elmo Gordo, New Mexico. And they held up here in a small town, Arizona and Frank Coles has been wounded and everybody is in the hotel shooting and hanging out for the whole movie, except for me. And I'm with the mayor's daughter, but I get killed at the end of the picture. And I got the blood. I got it in my blood. Oh, my God, I want to do this the rest of my life. That's when it really hit me. And, yeah. you know, everybody says, you got to come to L.A. You got to come to L.A. So I went to L.A. and I slept on a buddy's couch. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. And the rest is history. So that's how I quit baseball. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. I mean, well, now you've got a lot going on with acting um, and your writing, which is amazing, producing, directing. 
you're very involved. You have your own production company called Cactus Blue Entertainment. When did that um, come about? How did you start that up? Cactus Blue came about five years ago, four or five years ago. I just had a bunch of different names for companies, and I wanted something to remind me of the desert. You got Fine Line, New Line, Morgan Creek, you get TriStar, this star, that star. You know, I was like, ah, what do I want? You know, so I came up with Cactus Blue Entertainment. I love cactuses. What am I going to Can't call it Cactus Purple. Okay. So it's the same rhyme, and I liked it. And the initial CBE were pretty cool. So I, I formed the corporation. And, you know, that's my production and my distribution, but it's not the big investment company that would bring the money through and then we fund it into the project. But Cactus Blue is my home run right now. And you've got quite a few projects going with that? Yes, I had, forget them, sorry. Start over good. The first one we did with that one, was a movie called El Coyote with me. It originally starred Tom Sizemore, but we had to take him out because of his past. They wouldn't buy the film. It had mm-hmm. the two great Italian actors. It had John Capodici from Ace Ventura, but Detective and The Phantom. And it had Bobby Costanzo from Die Hard 2 and from The Goonies and a bunch of great Italian actors. And it had some Hispanics. And it was the Italian mafia versus the Mexican cartel. And the phrase was, when was the last time you saw the, the mafia go down and take care of the cartel? You never. So I wrote never that did. script. Yeah. yeah so, it's, so, you know, I'm, I'm a, in that film, I'm, a, I'm the lead. I didn't direct it, but I wrote it, co-wrote it, produced it, and starred in it. And it was a great. If we had more money, it could have been amazing. But, you know, we had a small budget. Did well. COVID helped a lot in the digital market. It's still out there worldwide, 60-something countries, doing very well. You know, you can watch it on Prime or wherever. Then the next picture we did was the Dream Round that's coming out now. Mm-hmm. And with myself, Richard Grieco, Heidi Thompson, I mean, Heidi Kaplan, Alexa Lohman, you know, this. And then while COVID was hitting, I had written a script in 2015 called Carolina's Calling, which I really like as a comedy. And uh, it's about an alien that gets shot down by a beam of light or energy from Earth who's around mm-hmm. our satellites because our satellite singles, signals are killing their brains on their planet four light years away that he's supposed to seek and destroy, but he gets hit and he crash lands in South Carolina. After five years, we meet our character and his name is Bob and he drinks beer. My name is Bob. <laughs> you can spell my name forward to back with B-O-B. You don't want to want a beer? Anyways, Antonio <laughs> Zabato Jr. Remember the, the Calvin Klein? He ran for Congress. He was a soap yeah. opera star. I, I, I used uh, to watch him on General Hospital, yeah. <laughs> yeah right. he, he's my female lead. I directed it. And my female, Stacy Dash from Clueless, Mo Money. Mm-hmm. Beautiful and very talented. She outacted everybody on the film. We had, we had Jason, no, Jacob Hopkins. You may have had him on your show already. Jacob is mm-hmm. very talented on the Goldbergs. He, uh, he did an amazing job on the film with us. He, uh, he was the uh, love interest of the, the Zbato Jr.'s daughter. Anyway, so the, there's two engineers who develop continuous energy. One of them I played, but I died in the beginning of the movie. And Antonio's the other one. Once they get the energy, no one wants to give them any money because it'll be the end of fossil fuel. So he mm-hmm. uh, moves to South Carolina from California, and that's where she falls in love with Hopkins, and he falls in love with Dash. And then these dreams that he's been having come true. And he sees this barn and he meets Charlie, this drunk older hick, takes him in and he meets him. And not only does, you know, he meets this eight foot tall alien who's cute as heck and funny, 
but he speaks redneck English. And then I directed and that we're working on a Thanksgiving release, but I don't think so. It's just so many effects. It looks like probably February a release. Okay. We've got interest from a major studio. Not going to mention the name because I don't want to kill the deal, but I'm actually mm-hmm. moving up in the, in the world and they want worldwide rights, but they don't want theatrical rights because they think it's a good B movie, but not an A. If I can okay. make it an A minus movie by reshooting some scenes, we have a really strong possibility for a big theatrical release in February. So that's what Cactus Blue has been doing. And we're doing two Netflix, uh, Amazon Prime type of shows, we're doing a prequel to El Coyote, the Italian Mafia thing. So the main character, my character, and that would be more like a Walter White from uh, Breaking Bad. Okay. Yeah. He, he's a mean Italian that works. He owns his own restaurant. He's involved with the cartel. And he goes, look, I'm cleaning money for the cartel. And he's always in every episode. There's always a problem. And also <laughs> we, some big YouTubers that have millions of viewers that make a lot of money every month approach me. And because I've got a lot of hits on my YouTube page, not as many as there. And I'm in the hundred thousands and they're in the, you know, millions, multi-millions. It's, yeah. They wanted to do a Halloween show because my art director that did the alien movie and my Italian mafia, a Mexican movie used to do all the sets for Disney, Disneyland. So when you go to Disneyland, a lot of those things that you see were built, uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean, all those things were built by this guy. His name is yeah. Sid Kramer and Sid can build incredible sets. So we want to do a, a show, uh, like a 15 minute thing once a week on YouTube called the man who's stuck in a haunted house oh, can never get out. Like Once he goes in, he can't get out. And everybody comes and goes and he hangs out with people and he's friends with everybody. But at the end of the night, when they got to leave, they leave, but he can't go. And then the only he's, there's 12 heads in a room that are, that are dead. But when he's in there, they talk to him. Anybody else walks in, they freeze. So each head's an episode of a series of the show. So they would tell their story. And then we would go with him and see the blood, the guts, the horror, whatever it would be that how they got killed. And at the very end of the series, I can't tell you, but it's pretty yeah. cool. And that's, that's what yeah. I'm working on. And, you know, uh, that's what Cactus Blue Entertainment's working on. Me, I have other things happening, too. You do? Okay. Yeah, I saw the trailer for uh, Carolina's Calling, and I was really, I, I, it looks so good. I, I, the special effects look really cool. I was watching, you know, the, the quick, I think it's like a five-minute trailer. But it looks really interesting. And really, I like that there's a little comedic element to it. And I'm a big sci-fi fan. So uh, you're a big sci-fi fan too, or is this the first time you've kind of delved into it? No, I'm a sci-fi fan since, oh man. I used to lay on my cars when I was 17, 18 in upstate New York and just stare saying, come get me. I want to go. So now mm-hmm. then I started watching the films and I always used to pick them apart, all the science fiction. To me, they were all, oh my God. God, before I was a filmmaker. But I'm a Trekkie, you know, I'm not like a diehard Trekkie, but I love the new cast. I love Chris Pine. And those guys yeah. are incredible. I hope to God they may. I really want the one to go with uh, the guy that did Pulp Fiction, the director. Quentin Tarantino supposed to direct him before. Yeah, and if it goes, um, oh, I want to see it. I want it to go. But, you know, I want to go to space. I'm getting too old. I dream about it all the time. And I've written several science fiction projects. I wrote one called Beyond and Back that never got funded. You know, mm-hmm. a little girl that was kidnapped and, and, a, and a, a middle-aged man, no, a middle-aged man later in life gets kidnapped the same spot. And he ends up bumping into this girl who's now grown up and they have a love affair on another planet. And he brings her back to Earth. I wrote that, but that never went anywhere. And, you know, then I got to Carolina's Calling. And yeah, mm-hmm. I got another one called Outer Man. 
because you know the Avengers were huge, and yeah. and this Justice League. So I did Iron Man. It's just a it's just a guy that it's the same character that you know everybody likes the donut shop guy, the mechanic, whatever. That mm -hmm. but he doesn't live here. He lives you know five, ten, twelve light years away, a hundred light years away. But he's watching Earth and he's in love with an American actress. But it takes two days to get the signal or three days. And he's watching all our TV because he's in love with this, like a Jennifer Aniston type of girl. You know, mm -hmm. I wrote that. And he, there's a war between him and the Anthers are like uh, giant lizards that talk. And he has to, uh, mm -hmm. they're delivering the fastest ship in the whole universe. And it's a slip ship, they call it. It's a faster than anything we've seen in Star Wars or Star Trek or any of those. And they're delivering it because his dad owns the company and he, he decides to slip away when he hears that the woman that he loves has been kidnapped on Earth. So he comes to Earth to save the day. And he finds out yeah. she's not good. She, she finds out she's rotten. She can't stand yeah. it. And he finally catches When he finally gets her and brings her back. And they're involved. They, and she got taken in by uh, the Taliban. And, and they wanted like $100 million to buy weapons. And he saves the day, kind of. But then the Anthers come in from another universe and another uh, star yeah. system or no, whatever. You know, I mean. Solar system, and they come out, and all hell breaks loose on Earth, and he goes back to his planet, all depressed, and he ends up marrying his ex-wife again, who's six foot something tall, and she's a rollerblader. But they don't use rollerblades; they got like jet engines on their shoes, <laughs> like jetpacks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I, yeah, yeah. I got. I, I love science fiction. Yeah, that's great. You know, I think it might be interesting to have like you have to think about doing like mafia in space, right? Gangsters in space, how they would handle that. Yeah, well, I thought about it, but, you know, how the heck? I mean, I, I can barely get enough money to do these little films. How are you going to raise money for that? But that was, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. Yeah, well, a lot of your ideas, too, kind of sound like they would translate really well to comic books or a graphic novel. Like, have you ever thought about doing that? Adopting an, a novel to a screenplay? Yeah, or like a comic book. Like, make you know, doing a graphic oh. novel with someone or, you know, because your ideas... I think they seem to, they would translate well to that format. Yeah. Well, I thought about it and we worked on it and there was a superhero in a wheelchair that Stanley owned the character from the um, Marvel comics. The guy that took Stanley's cup public, took his company public. He and I hooked up and he had the rights for a little while. Then he lost them. And we were going to talk about maybe me playing that character. So you thought about it, and then, you know, I mean, there's a lot of books out there that I love that we'd like to make into movies. Oh, man, I've written some, I mean, I've read some great ones. Yeah. I really like the Stephanie Plum series that was written by, she just passed oh. away, too, a great writer, Janet Ivanovich. Janet yes, Ivanovich wrote and that series, but then you got that girl from Grey's Anatomy that decided to do it herself. She raised the money, she was the executive producer, and she made mm -hmm. it, and it was terrible. She got a guy from Chicago playing her dad, he's not a New Yorker. And then they got some total white grandma that had no Italian accent whatsoever in that movie. Oh, no. It was all Italians. Oh, yeah. Anyways, but, and then I got, you know, like there's so many, like Clive Cluster's got some great books, and James Patterson, and James Patterson's Zoo was a big series for a while. I mean, it's just, I mean, my favorite by Stuart Margolin, Philip Margolin, Margolis, mm -hmm. wrote a book mm -hmm. called Gone But Not Forgotten. And I want to make that movie, I couldn't put it down. I mean, that movie, that book, I read it from cover to cover. In, I started in the morning and about four, I started like six, seven in the morning, and I didn't finish mm -hmm. before the next day in the morning. And I couldn't put it down. 
and I'm going to make that movie. I said, I'm going to make it. And then Brooke Shields made it for a TV movie. Come on, man. <laughs> oh, well. I think there's like this, uh, I've talked about this with some of my friends um, that are in the industry. There's like this weird thing where when you put something out into the universe, if you don't necessarily act on it, it seems like somebody else does, you know, and somebody you never knew, you could never have um, predicted that they would have had the same idea as you. But there is kind of a strange thing, like where you, where you see something like, oh, I could have invented that or, you know, I thought about that first and then, you know, someone else does it. So I don't know, do you ever find yourself kind of seeing that happen and, you know, watching a movie and you're like, wait, I had this idea 10 years ago. Can I tell you two real quick? Yeah. One, one my ex-girlfriend, my little girl, she's not little, she's 20, going to be 21. She's University of Kentucky. Her mom invented the pouch tops for the tuna fish. And, oh. and, and how we did it. We went, we went and started doing it and got prototypes. And we went out and she started doing it all. And then, well, I don't know if we ran out of money or I got sidetracked because we didn't really get along. We fought a lot. And we stopped. And then many years later, she was so mad at me because it came out. Somebody else did it. She also yeah. had the idea of filming fix, fixer uppers. You know, you go out and you redo your home, and then you, she yeah, had that yeah. idea. Yeah. But the the biggest one of them all that today still irks me is that I met my first picture was with Steven Spielberg. It was called 1941, probably before you guys were born. But we shot it in '78 and '79 at Universal Studios and Columbia. It was a code venture. They spent forty million. I worked a lot on it. I got to go to used cars that they were doing. In, at Mesa, Arizona, out here. I had just left here. I moved to L.A. Now I'm coming back. And I'm here. And it was Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis. They were a writing team, producing team, and directing. Robert Zemeckis, we know, Forrest Gump, Back to the Future, you know, oh, my God, Cast Away. He directed all those. Well, anyways, so Bob Gale and I were talking. They're writing partners. And he goes, well, don't tell me. Don't tell me because I may steal it. So I told him. I said, I got this idea. It's called Rollover Beethoven. And it was about going back in time. And it was going back and bringing and bringing Beethoven to the future who falls in love with the music teacher and blah, blah, blah. I had a, it was a great idea. And a lot of the, mm -hmm. it paralleled a lot of the back to the future stuff. So I told him all that and I never registered it. I didn't know how to register my script. I gave him the script. And then four years later, no, we finished in 80. Yeah. Five years later, here comes back to the future. It was yeah. really, I was upset because I mean, they changed it. But it was the same concept and had a lot of the same stuff that I told him. And, you know, that whole thing where he plays the guitar and he blasts. We did the same thing with a violin in my script five years before they even wrote it or came out. I got where Beethoven, and he's in there and he's got a kid playing a violin and they plug it into an electric thing and they blow everybody's ears out because it's a rock concert. Yeah. Anyway, so, it, you know, yes. So to answer your question, yes. It has happened to me more than once. Yeah, no, it happens. It happens. Well, I think that's why it's important. You just gotta, you gotta still tell your own perspective, though. You know, even if it's something similar that maybe other people have done. Because you know, a lot of ideas do kind of get recycled. But it's your voice and your, you know, your side of the story. So I think that if you still want to tell that story, you should. <laughs> that's my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Well, Carolina's calling. It's different, but mm -hmm. most of the time, everything is the same. It's you know, a love story is a love story. Action's action. Comedies, I mean, there's just so many, there's only seven or eight different types of films and Carolina's calling, yeah, it's science fiction, yeah, it's an alien, but it's different. You know, when was the last time you saw an alien drink beer, get drunk and talk funny? <laughs> yeah. I saw the, so, the clip of that in the trailer. It was hilarious. I was like, 
I have to see this. Oh. Wait till you meet when you see the film, you meet him and he's got beer spilling all over the first time. It constantly goes to the refrigerator throughout the movie drinking beer. Oh man, I need another beer. Well, that's too much for my head. You know, he drinks beer to make his head feel better. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But they're, you know, the stories that are different though are true life stories. You know, when mm-hmm. something happens, a tragedy or a human, what do you call it, when the, a triumph over tragedy. Or mm-hmm. people that don't expect it to make it, and they make it like Rudy and some really great, inspiring pictures that make it. So a lot of, like Angelina Jolie lately is into that. She did the Jim Thorpe picture, and mm-hmm. those kind are different than the normal Hollywood types. So if you can get a good, true story, that's always a good piece. Yeah. Well, I think there's probably a lot more heart a lot of times with, with indie films. You know, rather than the big traditional, big budget ones where, you know, people kind of get lost on set. And I feel, I mean, you could probably elaborate on this, but with an indie film, I mean, you're probably all like a big family, right? Well, yeah, you're right. You're all like a family. Yeah. It's more individualized, more personal. You get to inspire each other, work off each other. And it's freedom. You get to do what you really want to do. You get to put the look from the pages onto the screen. Yeah. The big boys cut, rip pages out, cut it, let's go, move on. Yeah. Or they tell you what to do. No, nope. some executive that doesn't have any experience on the field, but he's a, a big shot with mm-hmm. the checkbook or whatever, and he comes in and says, nope, cut it, I don't like it. We get, you know, who is – that's what I hear from Because I've worked on eight pictures. I get little parts in eight pictures, and I get major roles in the smaller pictures. So I've been around the big ones, and I've got friends that are in the eight pictures, and you hear all these stories. And – that's exactly what they say. The execs come in and they tell the director what to do or fly, they fire them. So you never really, like like right now, they've got the movie, the uh, Justice League that came out and it bombed. I mean, it didn't mm-hmm. do, it did okay. But now they got the new cut, the original director that everybody loved that they gave the money to, they got fired. He's doing his cut. And that's coming out at the beginning of the year. That's going to be on HBO Max. And I think in, in limited theaters. And when you see the trailer, it just it just the hair in the back of your head stands up. It's like, wow. When I saw that new trailer, I thought it was a brand new band. I don't even know what it was. Way better than the original trailer. And I can't wait to see it. Yeah, no, I think everyone's really looking forward to it. It looks so much better. Because the other one just was terrible. But but that's the difference. See what happened is executives came in, said, Nope, we're over budget, goodbye. Then they bring a guy in or whatever. There's always arguments because the director can't be creative or the writers are told to do this and not that. And they have to rewrite their, they write a beautiful script and everybody changes scripts all the time. No matter, you know, you take a script, they buy it, they change it. You get a green light, you get funded, they change it. It's like, unless you're an indie, going back to your questions, if you're an independent yeah. producer or director, then you can make pretty much, unless you got a hard nosed money guy and the money's going to be paid back by a certain day, you got to get your film out. Then you have but most of the time, they can make what they want to make. And most of the indies are crap. Sorry. But there yeah. are a handful of great ones. But all the little B, C, D movies that come out are no good. Every little town in America has filmmakers. And everybody puts out these films. Most of them never make it. And, they, and i got all these people on the social media advertising this film. And every time I go to Facebook or Instagram, I see all these indies. And I'm looking at them. And you watch the trailers and you go, oh, my God. And there's a movie opening out, in, out here at a theater chain called Harkins at the end of the month. It's a piece of crap. It's a Western. Oh, my God. No stars. All local actors. Some of them can't act. 
And, uh, you know, so some investor put up half a million bucks, 200000 whatever, and they're never going to see a dime. You know, and those guys are going to end up in prison or they're going to be paying the rest of their life in a lawsuit. It's just like, you know, wow. Like, no, Sorry. Okay. And I, I got it. And I think, like, I'm curious, you know, because I do think, like you were saying, it's kind of oversaturated. Everyone's trying to climb to the top and they don't, they don't know what they're doing. How do you personally, like, keep your stuff relevant and current? And how do you, like, fight through all of the, you know, all that stuff, all that noise and kind of, like, make your stuff stand out? Like, what are you doing for that? All my pictures get distributed. Not all of them make theaters, but I can get them all out. And why? Because I'm tenacious. I don't quit. I don't give up. And I have a really good eye. So when we're filming or writing or whatever we're doing, I pay attention to everything from what's on the paper to what I put on the screen. I make sure we parallel the bigger movies to real movies. So when I'm doing stuff, I always... I'm like one step ahead. I do continuity while I'm directing. I do continuity while I'm even acting. I want to make sure that the rooms are well decorated. So when you see a low-budget film on these, these pictures never go anywhere, they got nothing on the walls. Or they got a police, they got an interrogation, or they got something in a police office, and you got one wanted poster up and something else. You got to plaster the walls. You got to plaster the desk. You have to make it look like a mess, coffee cups. So you got to make it look real. So that's my big yeah. thing about low-budget pictures. you got to have a great camera, great camera crew. you got to pay them money to get people that know how to shoot. You know how to get the angles. And you got to decorate your stuff. you got to have your sets. got to look amazing. And you got to have a great, talented your DP, director of photography, has to know what the hell he's doing. And audio yeah. is really important. People forget about it. They put all the money in the actor or whatever. But you got to have great sound guy because lousy yeah. sound is a lousy movie. Yeah. Does that help you at all with that? I'm sorry. I mean, I could go on forever on yeah, that subject. No, definitely. You know, I think that helps a lot. I think that's really interesting because, you know, we don't hear the process a lot of the time, you know, with the indie film and how it's being made from the ground up and what you have to go through. And I'm sure it's stressful at times and it's fun at times for you. But, you know, for you, you seem very passionate about making movies. Do you prefer to be in front of the camera or behind the camera? What do you prefer? What is your Perfect. Well, I'm, a, I'm an egotistical maniac. What do you think? I want to be in front, <laughs> but I want to be in Of course, I want to be in front more than the back. <laughs> but I love directing. <laughs> Producing is becoming a pain in that. You know what? Directing, I have a really mm -hmm. good passion because I'm an actor and I take my time and I pull performances. When you see Stacey Dash's performance when her ex boyfriend, ex husband beats her, the crying, mm -hmm. the scene that we did, gonna blow you away. But I had to redo it and redo it. Then I had to pull this local actor I had to make him her quality and I had to get everybody out of the room and I worked with him and then when he shot a scene I yelled and screamed at him to get him up to the level I wanted and he gave me a performance of a lifetime when you see the scene between the two of them it looks like a big two a actors it looks like Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt fighting each other it's amazing what I got but I do have a passion but I like acting I'm a comedian I'm an actor I'm a blues singer I want to be on stage I want to be in front of the camera I want to you know, I can talk all friggin' night. I don't care. Sometimes I drop the yeah. F-bomb and I don't mean it. But, you know, I really like being in front of the camera. Number one, number two, directing. Number three, the Blues Brothers or Blues Shows. Okay. Which we'd... So you're a blues singer? Do you play the instruments? Or are you singing? Um, sing? I play the gazoo. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I play a little piano. I play some piano, but I'm a singer. I did, I did a documentary for a blues, for the Blues Brothers in 85. I was doing, I had seven or eight callbacks for a movie called Wired. Ted Swanson was producing. 
with, I can't remember his name, he did the hot dog movies anyway. So they gave me the role and it got canceled. And two years later, John Peters got it funded and got the money from a logging company in New Zealand. And they shot the movie, Why Will Michael Chiklis, which lost his career. And I didn't get the role, but I liked it so much that I wanted to do the Blues Brother. So while I was on vacation in Phoenix and my mom's, I was living in LA. I went to a buddy's that owned a big old 1950s kind of a rock and roll club. And he goes, we got to, let's come up with, let's find you in Elwood. So I said, all right. So for like six or seven weeks, we did a contest every Wednesday night. I'd come in from LA and we would audition Elwood's. It was the very last night this guy came in, Eric Martin. He blew everybody away. It was the perfect. He looked like, uh, looked like Dan, Dan Aykroyd sound like him. He did rubber biscuit like nobody else. We hired him. We went to band rehearsal. We rehearsed for two weeks. We opened up for Huey Lewis on News. He was just breaking back then. And at a club in Tempe called After the Gold Rush. Then from there, I had, when I was filming that documentary as John Belushi at the Boulevard Mall in Las Vegas, I bumped into a producer by the name of Nelson Foster, who produced the ABC Barney, Bar- Barney Miller and another show. Anyways, he became mm-hmm. a Vegas producer. He gave me his cards that we would love to have you on our show, Legends in Concert at the Imperial Palace, doing the Blues Brothers. I said, buddy, I can't sing. I'm terrible. You know? <laughs> And that's when I met the guy, got the partner, opened up. So then like two weeks after our big opening, we flew to Vegas for an audition. And we auditioned between shows, the producer and the hotel. The owner of the hotel wanted us in the show so bad. We were in the second show that night. We just flew in. And the band had to learn three of our songs. We did three songs. They kept us for three weeks, told me to go get voice lessons and learn how to do back handsprings. And I just fell in love with music. So that's how I started. But I was a terrible singer. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I used to break class. Have you well, I, 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 pardon me? Have you gotten better, you think? Have you, like, oh, yeah. Better? Well, what, ha- what happened is I came to Arizona to go hang up by the pool and rehearse because Eric was from Phoenix. So I came here and I was calling around gymnasiums trying to find someone that would train a 27-year-old overweight guy. Gymnastics. <laughs> So we call, and a guy answers the phone, and he's screwing around with me. He goes, who's this? I go, who's that? He goes, who's that? Go, come on. This is Kurt who? Kurt Thomas. Oh, yeah, get it. And he's, we're going back and forth. You what are you telling me? You want to do blues by that? You want to do what? You're how old? And you want to do backhand springs, car wheels, run off, one arm, run off? What are you, nuts? I go, no, I'm serious. I'll give you tickets to my show. He says, come on down. Anyways, it was Kurt Thomas. He boycotted the Indy Olympics. He trained me, and he told me, you're going to be so sore. And he was right. I couldn't even move. But after three weeks, I was doing backhand springs, roundoffs, one-arm roundoffs, aerials. I couldn't believe. So that, and then I took my buddy Eric introduced me to a vocal coach who worked with me, put telephones on my diaphragm, and I'd lay on my back and try to sing. I got a little better, but I still stunk. Yeah. I did the show for many months. They moved us around. We went to Tokyo. We were in Reno. We were in Atlantic City. We went to Italy. We were everywhere doing our show. In Japan, the women would try to take my shoes off. It was crazy. But I did eventually get better, but I didn't get better until I recorded my own CD. When I put my CD out, then I got better. I, I was in the studio, and I would pound the notes into my ears. But later in life, now I'm really good at it. So if I ever go out and people make me do karaoke, I'll sing like She Caught the Katie or something slower, or Shotgun Blues, and I'll blow the people away because they got the vibrato now. I can hold my notes. So when I go out, like I did a show two marches ago, marching about a month, a year and a half ago, and we sold out. 1,200 people came, and I killed it. I got standing ovations. At my age, I was still doing cartwheels, and I'm 96, don't But I love singing. That's my set. You know, that's great. I don't know yeah. what the heck the question was, but I'm sorry I went off 
No, I was asking about the blues. Yeah, I, I was just curious oh, yeah, the blues. about it. Yeah, so yeah, I do, I mean, I, yeah, I get called all the time to Blues Brothers. Sometimes I get called to do commercials doing the Blues Brothers. Uh, I'm going to do a big, for Carolina's Calling, we're going to do a big red carpet out here. we got the local TV station that my press agent hooked me up with, have gotten contacted with me, and they're going to do a red carpet with me with the Harkins Theater out here. They're in five states. And Dan Harkins, the son of the owner, they're going to do something with us because it's a local shot. It's a bigger-looking movie. And afterwards, you know, there's always an after party. We're going to do my blue show afterwards. Everybody's going to come see me do my show. That's amazing. So I'm going to come you out of retirement. Got to live stream that or video it or something so we can. Oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? It. I'll have 10 cameras shooting me. I'm going to put this baby on HBO. <laughs> I'm going to do something with it because, you know, something but it's going to be me. It's my stuff. It's my show. My, my acting name used to be Paloma, Michael Paloma. In the New York Blues. It's going to be Sequela, but it's going to be the New York Blues, whatever it is. But I got a really cool show. But in the middle of my show, we're going to have a guest spot. My dancer singers are going to do a number called the Cell Block Tangle. That's in the show Chicago. Mm-hmm. And while they're doing Cell Block, I change and I come out with my Blues Brothers partner. And we blow them away. We do about six, seven Blues Brothers numbers. And then we do a big finale with everybody. But uh, mainly my stuff. But I do a Blues Brothers act in the middle of my blues show. And That's as a matter okay. of fact, I'm doing a, we're doing a remake of my sugar daddy that was did really well. got thousands of views on my YouTube, but it was, it's outdated. So we're going with a rapper and we lifted it up to a real cool beat and we're going to redo it. I'm going to Vegas to lay my voice down next couple of weeks. And mm-hmm. we're going to do a video where now I'm old and I got all these old women with me because I'm a sugar daddy for old ladies <laughs> and the rappers got all the young ladies. But by the end of the video, we're all, it's going to be so much fun. We're doing that. And that'll you're, be a you're doing that in Vegas? Pardon me? You're doing that in Vegas? Yeah. Because <clears throat> that's where all the showgirls are. Yeah, and they did my, if you, you go to my YouTube page and look at the cell block number nine video, and okay. you'll see all the girls are from big Vegas shows in that video. They're all Vegas show dancers, and they're incredible. One of them, one of the girls with the blonde hair, the real long blonde hair girl, if you watch the video, she's married to uh, Carmine Rabuso from Laverne and Shirley. Remember that show? Yeah, I do. Carmine, hey, Carmine. Well, she, he, it's his wife. It's in my video. It's pretty cool. He come along, was hanging out with us while we were filming. He's on set. <laughs> yeah, he was on my set. Wife. <laughs> I haven't seen him like forever. I don't know what happened to him. Oh well. <laughs> well, Sorry, you I did mention. Sorry. <laughs> you did mention you have other stuff going on. I know. I saw that you have Glass of Dawn, which I'm curious about. We can talk just briefly about that. I don't know how much you can say about it because I noticed. Yeah, I, I, Bill, William Deal, Beer Deal, Bill Deer or William Deer directed Angels in the Outfield, Harry and the Hendersons, If Looks Could Kill, a bunch of De- Disney movies. He and I, I wrote the script called See you Next Tuesday, which mm-hmm. is the same thing. We changed the title, but we redid it. He had four writers on it, all Disney writers, and it became a really funny project. So it's just two guys that collect their unemployment every week. It was going to be Richard Greco and I, but everybody funding-wise and studio-wise and big you know, digital companies don't want him for some reason in the main role. They wanted somebody else. So we were working on Ray Liotta to play the part. We were really close. So then I went into Carolina's Calling. We put that on ice because of the COVID. But they collect their unemployment. They want to be somebody. They've never been anywhere. They tried baseball. They tried singing. They tried everything you could imagine in life. They can't make it. They decide they want to steal and rob and they become criminals. And they can't even do that right. You know, they go to rob Walmart and they wear squirt guns and they get their pants wet and they call them, we got to spill an aisle 13. 
And when they come out, they, a limousine guy picks them up and throws them in the car, and he takes them to a bank, and they open up the trunk. There's real guns. Well, my character in the films was married to an Italian princess. Her dad is the mob boss, but he never knew what her dad did. So now they got this mob guy with him all the time, teaching him how to make money because he wants the alimony and palimony money for his daughter. So he's going to train <laughs> this guy how to be a bad boy. So take him over to the bank, tell him how to rob. They go in with the guns, and they're the one millionth customer or one billionth customer, and they win 100000 so they, win them, they take the 100000 and they invest it into this. And we see a great black ops operation, how they come in the helicopter and the guys are wearing black with the Kevlar vests and the night vision, they scale a building, they cut the, the, the plasma, cut the windows, they go in, they turn the alarm off, they steal the diamonds and they make it. Well, when we finally see these idiots with the money they spent, it's a green helicopter, an old army helicopter. They got, you know, one's wearing shorts and one's wearing baggy pants. And they get tied up, they get tangled, they can't get through the window, but they finally pull it off. But when they come down the elevator, it was a robbery at the pizza place and two black guys robbed them of the diamonds and they go in the wrong way. And they go back down where all the cops are waiting and the Italian guys go running out the first floor down the escalator and they don't, they just don't make it. Anyway, so the whole thing started with them at the unemployment office saying, you know, every Tuesday they get their money. So they're at the unemployment office and they left. I forgot to tell you that part. So now at the end of the movie, they got to go rob the Italians four million buried in the atrium they get the money but when they come out the italians catch them take them under a bridge put the bullets behind their head the guns and say you steal from me and my family when i let you go live with your family how dare you right so that it's a big robert mm-hmm. de type of scene and you see the guns going up but then you see a flash on a pipe we pull back it's a garbage truck collecting garbage and, and backfiring and these two idiots are still under the employment office they never left and everything they talked about was a dream it's called whack the dawn mm-hmm. see what happens is they got to get al capone's hat and in the movie, this the big thing is they're always talking about Al Capone's hat. So the one, the, the father of the daughter he was married to sends him over to get the hat from this other godfather guy. Not to kill him, you know, in the beginning, but they, something happens. So he wants him to go whack him. You want to be an Italian mobster, you got to go whack the Don. So they go over to this big mansion. They got to sneak in. Well, they meet someone that works. He's a double agent for double mafia guy. He gets some interns, the alarm's off. They go in, they go upstairs and. The Richard Greco character, the good-looking Italian guy, sees the beautiful wife in bed, and she sees him. She goes, my, my. Husband's snoring. Next thing you know, these two are on the floor right next to the bed going at it. And then the, my character, the, the, the ex-athlete chubby guy that goes around to the other side of the bed, and he sees the Don sleep, and he sees the Al Capone hat. He's supposed to get the hat. And then the guy, you hear him like, Hoop. he wakes up kind of, but then it goes back to sleep. And it's like, just, and you hear the whisper, just whack him. We're supposed to whack him. He doesn't know what to do. So he sees some lotion. He puts it in his hand. He goes under the freaking covers and he whacks the down. He's whacking him. The wife's moaning. He's moaning. He goes, oh, honey, you haven't been this strong since we were teenagers. And they're, oh, my God. The two of them are moaning and screaming and they have the greatest time. And then it's mm-hmm. over with. He grabs the hat. They take off. So at the end of the movie, they're going to get killed by the guy that he stole, that he t- touched his wiener. <laughs> Yeah, right. And it's called Whack the Don, and that scene has never been done before. So can you imagine two idiots, one making love to the mafia's boss wife, and the other guy's mm-hmm. going to whack him. He doesn't know whack means kill. Yeah, yeah. He's so no, stupid. I, I, I love the, the play on that word. <laughs> so <laughs> go whack that, and, oh, yeah. And then when he goes back to the big boss, the, the ex-wife's father, father-in-law, he goes up to him, he goes, uh, yeah, yeah, okay, we get it. We got, here's the hat. He goes, yeah, but did you whack the Don? Yeah, I whacked him. <laughs> no, did you whack him? Yeah, I whacked him so good he was moaning. <laughs> everybody in the audience they're going to be dying when you go you have a full house when after covid when you're in there and they see that oh my god they're going to scream 
This is going to be one of those scenes where you, you can't hear the next several lines because you're still laughing from five minutes earlier. <laughs> wait, wait, when is this coming out? <laughs> no, I'm going to shoot that probably, you know, within the next six months to a year, we're going to get that done. Okay. Yeah, get on that because that's hilarious. <laughs> oh, I know. It is, I it's, it's hilarious. I want to get on it. You know, the funding, trying to find money. You know, people yeah. say they got, they're going to do it and they go, but they never do it. They're also full of crap. There's only a handful of people that really can do it. <laughs> They're out there, yeah. you know, studios, yeah. you know, it's hard to get a studio to believe in a guy my age. You know, I'm not 30 years old. I'm not J.J. Abrams or anybody like that doing Star Trek, but I'm talented and I like making the older type of films that have a story, mm -hmm. a meaning. Yeah. Well, I think so also there's, there's, there's a lot of, there hasn't been a really good, you know, something like Life is Gone, you know, like, I mean, in my opinion, since like Analyze This, right? It was a great comedic oh, yeah. mafia movie. And there really hasn't been anything that great since then. I mean, even the serious ones have all been kind of crap. I mean, you know, we, we have Goodfellas, we have The Godfather, you know, we have The Sopranos for a while, but I don't feel like there's been a lot of really good quality films about Italian-Americans that have come out. So I think it's time, you know? Amazon Prime and Netflix both won't touch Italian projects right now. See, the we got a... An Emmy Award-winning writer-director writing that my prequel to my El Coyote Italian Mafia thing, they had mm -hmm. to change it because it's too cliche. They don't want the old. They don't want the Godfather, the Goodfellas. They don't want that anymore. They wanted mm -hmm. something different. Cartels big. So the only way to get the Italian, they had to interweave this character like Walter from Breaking Bad. So my character is I've got to you know play with the cartel now, not with all my Italian buddies, in order to get it on one of those flicks. But a comedy Italian film is different, especially, you know, if you get big names in it. You get Ray Liotta and you do a cameo from De Niro. Well, I don't know about him anymore. I used to love him, but I hate him now. Pesci, you get somebody that's still alive that can move, Chaz Palminteri, any of the old guys that played a couple mm -hmm. of Dons. And you, know, you get two of the great old actor guys, great, the big names, to play the two Dons. And they're funny. It's comedy. And I had a blast working with Burt Young, you know, Paulie from the Rocky movies. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. We did... We did uh, Blue Lake Butcher. I directed and starred in that horror film I did in 2007. And Bert, you know, he's Italian, even though he changed his last name. It was fun. He played a godfather in a movie. He was, I can't remember the name of it, but it was with uh, a guy from Saturday Night Live that was in Night at the Roxbury, the little guy. Can't think of his name. Oh. He did a movie. Yeah, yeah. He did. And he did a movie and, and he was ashamed of his family and he became an FBI agent and he was double, he was working for. His brother, his two brothers mm -hmm. and their father, but he was FBI. And the one brother was played by the great director, Bergs, uh, Peter Berg. Peter was one of the actors in it. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's just you got to get great older actors for Whack the Don. And mm -hmm. I have to surround myself because I'm not, I mean, I'm sort of a name now, but I'm not really a name. I mean, I'm out there. I just got cast in a new show. We're doing a pilot. Looks like it's going to get picked up eight more episodes. You know, it's called Friday Night in Queens. It's four Italian guys who grew up together. To, and it shoots in L.A., even though it's a New York story. And I got one of the roles. And it goes pretty soon. I talked with my press people today. Jessica and I are going to get, she's going to come to the set. It's supposed to go in like three weeks. And um, right. I'll be out there shooting the pilot. And if it goes, you know, it's another Italian thing. But it's different. It's common. Yeah. It's, two, it's the guys talking, having a blast. Nobody's getting whacked. No, no blood. Nobody getting their throats cut. <laughs> Just good old boys having a good old time. Yeah. Well, and I like that. I think we need to see that. You know, we need to see that side, too. Because there's so many funny, I mean, things, 
being Italian. There's so many funny moments that we have, you know, in our culture, with our families. I mean, we say it all the time. We're like, oh, we should have our own show, you know. And I think we need to have more of that comedy, you know, inserted in and do more funny Italian-American stories. I, I don't know if you've seen this movie. It came out a long time ago called Mambo Italiano. Uh, and it yeah, was, was, yeah. Where the kid was gay and, and he was trying to come out to his parents. And that was like such a big deal, especially in that time with the culture. But And not so much the plot line itself, but some of those side stories would just crack me up with where, where they're walking. And they see the same people every two feet, but they have to say hello, you know, every time they walk around the block, you know, they have to say hello to the same people again and again. And I'd love to see more films like that because they, they make, they're relatable, you know. I'd love to make them. It's all about money. Yeah, yeah I know. Absolutely. Have you, have you done, what is it, a Kickstarter? Have you done anything like that before? Okay. That was a little muffled. Could you repeat that question? Oh, yeah. I was just wondering if you've ever um, done anything like a Kickstarter. Um, campaign to ra- to raise money for a film or anything. no no I would I would like to I mean so many small people burned out a lot of people mm-hmm. when all these wannabe movie people that don't know what they're doing did the, the uh, those kickstarts and the other ones you raise money for people that go to hospitals or pass away I can't think of the name of that one GoFundMe mm-hmm. they did go the GoFundMe and the Kickstarter and they burn people they don't you know they get their goals and they can't make a movie for eight grand I mean I need to raise a lot of money. So yeah. kickstart, you know, okay, you can raise money for pre-production for kickstart. And if, if you don't mind, then I probably not can see it back. People donate their money. I mean, uh, but yeah. you need 50 grand, 100 grand to develop a story. So how do I do a kickstart for 100,000, 200,000? That's a lot of money. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, you got one guy could do the whole thing if he's in love with you. Like I had a guy call me after he saw El Coyote. They went to the theater, him and his wife. He calls me, uh, and I calls me on my messenger, but I didn't know it was, so I didn't take it. And look, I want to talk to you about doing more Italian projects. I call a guy up. He's from Detroit. He's Italian. He wants to do it. I go, it's all about money. He goes, yeah, but we have the money. And, you know, you don't believe people. And I, he tells me you got this guy, inherited all his money, and we can give you up to eight million bucks. We want to do a real good Italian film. What do you got for us? So I blew him off. I didn't believe him. So then I read in the obituaries, this guy died and he gave all the money to the church. Like, oh my God, it was real. And I didn't, I didn't believe him. But it's hard to find real money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think so far you're doing really good. I mean, you've got quite um, a, some great titles out. I, like I said, I saw the trailers and I'm really interested in, in seeing them. You mentioned that Carolina's Calling is coming out in maybe February. I know you said you were originally trying to do end of this year, but you're thinking February 2021? I'm thinking late January, early February of 21. Yes, I am. And again, well, we got the golf movie coming out in November. So I got every couple of months, I got something. Yeah. I plan on doing more stuff. It's just, you know, I want to do a lot of stuff. I don't want to quit. I don't want to retire. I just want to go. No, just keep going. I want yeah. to have a camera in my hand filming while they lower me in the grave. You know what I mean? Hey, hey what's he doing? <laughs> He's still shooting. <laughs> About a big, but a boom. Oh, forget about it. You know what I mean? I still want to do I, what I really want to do is I want to play one film, serious, an award winning type of. I mean, not like awards for the festivals. I'm talking about, you know, like I went to Fairport High School in upstate New York. And you know who graduated six years after me? Philip Seymour Hoffman. 
he won oh. the Academy Award for, for Truman Capote. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, and there's a lot of people that win awards. And it's not that I want, you know, I'm, the, I'm a character actor. So the odds of me ever doing anything, good luck, maybe a supporting role. But there is one project I'd like to do. And there were five bosses. You're Italian. There were five families. Mm-hmm. The Bonanno, the Genovese, the, uh, the Gambinos, whatever. Anyways, so mm-hmm. the, they did a series, the Bonanno series, you know, on Showtime. And they did okay, but the Italian guy they brought in, he saw, he's from you know, Venezuela. He, even though he's Italian, I'm on Asante. I mean, great actor, but he doesn't sound Italian. No. So I know, I knew Bill. The son I knew is Joe Jr. and I know the the, the grandson who ran everything. I met mm-hmm. Joe Bonanno before he passed. I got to go to the funeral. Anyway, so I got close to the family, and I really would like to play him in the forties, fifties, and or sixties. I would like. Okay, I kind of look like I'm kind of have the same hairline, and I think that I could kill it. I think I could mm-hmm. do a great job because we're both from New York. And I know a lot about the family. They sat me down. We had a lot of meetings. I would have to go with them in a deli. We'd have to go in the back room and take all our cell phones, leave them in our car and talk. And <laughs> something would come up. We never talked over the phone. We'd have to drive halfway to Tucson, have a meeting in a freaking restaurant, leave your cell phones in the car. I'm like, geez, what? You know, and all I did for them was I, they had talented singers and stuff. And I would put them in my shows. I had dinner theaters and I would hook up their people. So as I got older and as I see these movies and after I saw the Irishman, I know what happened. The family sent me down and brought me, well, you're in the family. Let me tell you what really happened. So I know what the Kennedys all the way back to Jack and what happened. I mean, I was with these guys for, you know, 10, 15 years before they died. And they told me so much. So when I saw that, I liked it a lot, but I think that I could do the same thing from Mm -hmm. a true story you know, really a true story with the real ending, what really happened to Hoffman. Hoffman, sorry. I I had people fly out from New York, big Wall Street people that wanted to do it, but they wanted me to do a different, what they wanted was, they want to do my story. They know the people that were involved in the Wolf of Wall Street. They know Mm -hmm. the guy that got in trouble. They said that most of the stuff was made up. Some of it was true, but they embellished it. And after they found out who I made the front page of the Wall Street Journal, I made the front page of a lot of newspapers a while back. I got in trouble okay. in the stock business. And so I'm sure you read about it. It's all over the internet. So I got these guys that flew in and they had a lot of money and they want to do my story. And they want to do it's called King of Pump and Dump because we my guys that I was working with and I got involved with pump and dump stock. But I had mm-hmm. the same stuff. I had two jets, I had gorgeous girlfriends everywhere. And money coming out my, you know, at $63 million at one time, or the group did, not me directly, but we did everything. I was friends. We, I flew Adam Sandler, Chris Rock, Burt Reynolds, Goldberg, the wrestler. A bunch of us flew down to Florida for Burt's 50-year anniversary at the University of Florida. I took him to the Vikings game, the owner of the Minnesota Vikings. I mean, we did so much. So they go, look, we want to do your story. But reason why, it's not because of the girls and the money and the planes. That's part of it. Mm-hmm. But what we want is the mobster side. We want you to, to tell all about what happened, how you got to meet everybody, how, you know, this mover and shaker hung out with everybody from football to actors to, you know, mobsters. But they really wanted them out, and I didn't want to do it. Then they came back and said, okay, if you play yourself, we got, and they told me the studio that would do it, and I said, fine. 
I would do it mm-hmm. after I talked to my family because I don't want to embarrass everybody. And then yeah. uh, a couple months ago, they called me up and said, well, okay, we, we can shoot it up to like $100 million, but you can't play yourself. They want a big name to play you, and you can be at the end of the movie, and we'll give you a little cameo. I said, hell no, goodbye. Yeah. And I, I said, the only way I'll do it, I'm playing myself. And I have, you know, I, I, I have, they did a big documentary on me, and it's coming out on OAN. Ann Vandersteel, she's a, a reporter, mainly a big time. They're big with the Trumps. And they came down and interviewed me about some stuff that I learned when I was in trouble, actually when I got locked up. And I met some people from the Fast and Furious operation, and I knew a lot of stuff, and I got too much. So they wanted to interview me about that, but I said, no, I want to promote my acting career. So they did a three-part, 30 minutes each. I'm going to be on OAN within the next couple of weeks. And it's huge. And you watch the first 30 Pardon me, sorry. That's coming out in a couple of weeks? Yeah, and you watch it, you're going to cry. Some of the partners, some of the girls, some of the girls at the office, some of the partners that are involved with me were all sat down to watch it. And all of them were grabbing a, a tissue box because it's a true story. It's like, you know, how I started, I was a different guy. I was an idiot. I made lots of money. Then I got locked up and then I came out. And then the things that happened afterwards, this, this, some kind of a gift I got, true story that I wrote about. It, and then I, it went viral and I showed the, I'm sure they're going to post it, what happened to me with this hat that I got. Mm-hmm. And I, it's like I became a guardian angel for several people. And I don't know how I did it. I'm a bum. I'm not the guy I used to be. I changed, you know. Yeah, that's, that's very inspiring, actually. I think more people need to know that and to hear your story because it is possible for people to change. And, you know, you make bad decisions. Everyone does. You know, you learn from them. Some people don't, but you clearly have. And I think that's important. So I'm excited. I'm looking forward to this documentary to see, you know, check it out. And yeah, I think we that's can. really important to hear that. So congratulations. for. Yeah, thank you. We'll get the link to you. I'll have the press people get your yeah. link. Yeah, definitely. And I do want to say to everyone that's listening, when they listen, that your movie, Dream Round, is actually, it's been streaming pretty much everywhere. I mean, I'm looking at Amazon Prime, Xbox, PlayStation, iTunes, Google Play. What movie are we talking about? Dream Dream Round. Round. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's going to be everywhere. It's going to, oh, yeah. Yeah. So I want to make sure everybody knows that they can watch that November 10th on Hulu, uh, Netflix, or not, yeah. net, not Netflix, Amazon Prime. Um, Amazon Prime. Xbox. Yeah. yeah it's Xbox, great. PlayStation, Google Play, Red, uh, Redbox, Voodoo, Tomi. There's a bunch of them. It's on. It doesn't go to Netflix and uh, Hulu until all the money comes in on the video on demand stuff, pay-per-view okay. and all that. After that, then it goes to Netflix and the pay, and then it goes to the HBOs and the it's like a okay. Hallmark movie more than an HBO. It'll probably be Lifetime and Hallmark after it runs on the pay-per-view stuff. Okay. Okay. So there's yeah, plenty of places people can watch it, which is yeah, what is. I want to make sure, we, make sure we get that out there. And we'll post links, too, for people in the, in the show yes, notes thank you. and stuff. So, yeah. And now are you, where can people follow you? Like, are you on social media, Facebook, Twitter? Yeah, let me tell you how to follow me. Well, listen to this. I'll be driving a black car in your neighborhood in about three weeks. No, I like to make people laugh. Well, I like people going to IMDb first, you know, go to IMDb.com, Internet Movie Database, Mm -hmm. and put in Michael Sequela, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, Sequela, S-A-Q-U-E-L-A. I prefer that first. And then afterwards, I got Michael Sequela, actor on Facebook. 
I also have, you know, Twitter and Instagram. That's it. Just four. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, just four. <laughs> no, that's good. Now, I want to make sure everyone can follow you. That way they can, you know, stay up to date with everything you're doing. Because you're doing some great stuff for the, you know, indie film market. And I'm really excited to, to see what you've got coming out. So, yeah. I appreciate the opportunity to be on your program. And I really appreciate all the great questions. Thank that's you so good. much. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. We really appreciate you coming on and talking to us. Thank you for uh, being patient with the technical difficulties earlier. So, you know, we got it off and we got it going. And, yeah, it's been really fun chatting with you. Well, I can't wait. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. This is uh, the Spoiler Country podcast with Michael Sapolo. And, um, yeah, check out the show notes. We'll have all the links. And make sure to follow him on social media. Thank you so much. You have a great night. And we're back. Oh, you took the back from me. <laughs> you took the back. <laughs> what do you think? What do you, uh, you like about Sequillo? Is that he's he sounds like a cool guy, huh? Yeah, it was cool. It was a lot of fun. I, you know, I learned about. Uh, I, I like when I talk to people, or when we talk to people that are in the industry and uh, have done, you know, especially in the movie industry or, or TV industry, and they talk about their career and kind of how they got into things and how they work through things because it's it's a different avenue than what we've done before yeah, or that yeah. I've ever done before. And I've ever been a part of that. So it's like, it's, it's, it's kind of like with music, right? I, I like, I like to play punk music and rock music, but I don't necessarily listen to punk and rock all the time. Cause I, I, I have a hard time listening to things that I'm like, Oh, I could write yeah. that. And I know it's a stupid way to think of things, but like, I like, I like to listen to things that I know I can't do. Right. <laughs> so listen to like, I listen to like classical music or like, and I, 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 I know how pretentious that sounds, right. I still listen to like everything else, but if I'm trying to be creative, I listen to things that I know I can't right. do, like violin music or piano music or something I know I can't right. play because that gives me inspiration to do other stuff. Like if I look at artwork, I don't want to look at artwork that I know I can probably draw. I look at artwork that I know I can't, I, I probably can't well, That makes do. it easy for you because like 90% of it that you can't do. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> oh, come on. You, you set that up. I got to knock it down. <laughs> I can do more than you can. So there. Yeah. <laughs> Self-admitted, man. <laughs> <laughs> you want a badly drawn stick figure? Come my way. Yeah, yeah, he'll do it, well, he'll do it really bad, very yeah. bad. It won't even have legs. Yeah, it, well, it'll have legs. It'll just be one will be short, one will be long. <laughs> <laughs> one might have a head. <laughs> one might be wavy. I used to be able to draw actually, like not to toot my own horn, but toot toot, man, like pretty freaking good. I wish I could find the stuff that I was doing in junior high. It would, it would, you'd be like, oh shit, dude. I just. I'm not a natural person at it. You know what I mean? I had to really, really work at it and really, really keep drawing. And like, I'll, you know, and I wasn't good at my own shit. You know, I could see right. something and then I could mimic what I saw, you know, but I'd have to draw so it like four or five times by the time I got to a point where it was like, oh, okay, now that looks really good, you know? Right. But, <laughs> you know, like anything, you don't use it, you lose it, especially when, if it's somebody that's not, it's not a natural talent. You know, like I could draw a perfect Roger Rabbit and the gorilla from, uh, uh, is it TNC surf? Make mm-hmm. gorilla. Yeah. Or grape or grape ape. Well, I get one of those. Not grape, ape. grape ape was Hanna-Barbera. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I had a t-shirt I, with the TNC those, surf those shot with the gorilla. Time, so, you know, and, 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 <laughs> yeah. uh, 
I used to be able to draw that perfect. And then, but, but like I said, I'd have to practice it, practice it, practice it. And then I finally get to a point where I'd be able to do it. And then if I didn't, you know, then I just stopped drawing because I didn't have a passion for it, you know? And so it's like, and that, and it wasn't, it didn't come like I had a buddy named Mark, uh, shout out to Mark Shoemaker. That guy was just a natural artist. He could just, you know, from when we were little kids, he was drawing things that were just like way above his pay grade, you know? Right. And so it was just like, so I, we hung out all the time because he lived in my neighborhood. So we hung out all the time. So we, you know, one of the things that we would do together, we'd sit down and, and, and draw and, you know, just as hang out, we, we read new mutants and X-Men and Spider-Man. We read a lot of Marvel stuff because his brother collected comic books and he had all Marvel. So we'd go through his older brother's comic books and read them and then go down to this anyways. But one of the things we would do to, you know, would draw and he was so much better, but I wanted to be good because he was so good, you know? And so right. I would draw and draw right. and draw and, and then eventually, but I would draw the same thing like 20 times where he's drawing like 20 different things, you know? Right, and after right. a while you just get like, <laughs> eh, fuck it. <laughs> so yeah, you know. So there's the history of Kinnick's art career. Yep. It, it crashed and burned in the summer of 84. No, I don't know when it was. It was like. It burned before it started. Yeah. It was like, <laughs> you know, like any kids that, you know, you draw when you're a kid and then probably around. 12, 13. No, 12, 13 is when I did my best stuff that I would ever do. So right after. Yeah. Probably ninth grade. I, I just, I never, I don't think I ever drew in ninth grade. About the time you discovered girls. You're Pretty like, nope, much. Done with you this. know what? That's probably a good time. That's probably. I, yeah. Girls messed everything up for me. <laughs> <laughs> girls messed Attraction to the opposite sex or attraction to whatever you're attracted yeah. to. Messes attraction just up messes you up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that is that true. Is no matter what you're attracted to, once you start getting attracted to something, it messes yeah. you up. <laughs> oh, dude. I got to tell you, I used, um, and we can keep this in or not. It doesn't matter. But I used gay as a, I used gay like it was 1987 again. Right? Oh, yeah. that's so gay. Not even, because I try to catch myself on that kind of stuff. Because I yeah. don't want to do that to somebody that is, you know, I should take offense to that. You know what I mean? Because it's not being used in the proper right, way right. anymore. Right. It's not, it's not right. meaning happy and it's not meaning um, a term for a homosexual guy or a girl or whatever. You know what I mean? Right. And in a positive light, I should say. And it, it just came right. out. You know what I mean? I didn't even, it wasn't even, I don't know. My filter obviously wasn't working. And right. my brother goes, dude, you know, our friend that's there is, is gay. And I was like, what? And because to me, I didn't even it didn't even register that I said it, which is I think it's part of the problem in culture as a whole, you know. Right. I didn't even register, and it, it's kind of funny. It takes my older brother to say, "What are you doing? <laughs> hey, what are you doing, man? Yeah, yeah." And I was like, "Oh, I feel terrible now," you know. But yeah, anyway, I mean, at the end of the day, it was well, fine it's, because it wasn't out of it, obviously it wasn't malicious in any way. It's, it was, it's, I don't know if it's funny is the right word, but it's funny because, I mean, I used to use gay or homosexual in that same way too, but I never meant it to be like yeah. as reference to a gay or homosexual person. It never, in my it brain, never it, came the, out there, was a, never, there was a connection. Yeah, exactly. Right. There was a disconnect between saying, oh, that's so gay or that person's gay. They were two different words. Well, to me. you know what? A lot of like, that is though, is you probably maybe had one or two gay friends in your life that you didn't even know were gay. Yeah. Especially at the time frame that you grew up or, or you didn't have any, or you just didn't know anybody. And so to you, not the the effectiveness of what it what it means to somebody 
it's not there. That's what well, it was for I, me. I, I had a gay friend in seventh grade. I, I had a friend in seventh grade who came out, and yeah, he was, had a, was very much yeah, flamboyant you had a and gay. Friend, and he, but not friends. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was friends. Well, we were friends, and he he used to say he used the term the same way that I did back then in, in, in the nineties. Yeah. And again, like I said, in, in in my brain, it was there were two different words. It was like gay happy and gay homosexual were two different were two different words. Yeah. It was like you know I I mean I don't I, I again like, like you I try and curb I curb yeah. it now I don't I, I don't say it that way at all anymore it. because it's not appropriate but it's like back then I really didn't see it as being a, a slander towards a gay person I just saw it as being a, just a word yep. that is that yep. way but I mean I understand why it's people like don't do that yep. you know no totally I get this. I'm the same way it's kind of weird this is a weird conversation to go off of on listening to Michael Sequilla <laughs> you know what I mean. Hey, it happens. Yeah, that's a tangent of all tangents. Let's pull this back around. I hope you guys enjoyed that interview. <laughs> and maybe you guys enjoyed our little banter there that was kind of odd. Actually, one, go check out Michael Sequoia's work because the guy is awesome. Yeah. Two, yeah. if you listen to this conversation and you have thoughts about what we just talked about, let us know. Maybe, yeah. you, may, maybe you feel strongly one way or another way. Either way, let us know what you think. And um, Yeah, drop a comment on the website. Hit us up on Twitter. Yeah. You never know. But in the meantime, if you enjoy what you're hearing, go to SpoilerVerse.com. Check out our back issues. There's so much good stuff. So many great interviews. So many just great shows. So many other podcasts that do amazing stuff that you really should be checking out. Yeah, and while you're there, check out our reviews and previews and articles from all the other uh, writers we have up there. Check out uh, um, our store. Get a t-shirt or a hoodie or a face mask or whatever. Look fly as hell, as I always like to say. And, uh, you know... A couple dollars or anything you buy goes back to support the site. You guys go. All right. Don't forget. In an oceans of podcasks, we are Castillo. You look at browse you to do. Voice crack. Open the mind and read more. Is that better for you? I love it the way you do it. It just makes me laugh. <laughs> 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 <laughs>